0: Hey everybody! This is Johnny Liu from the First 100K. I'm here with two friends of mine, uh, Shannon Shellcross and Adam Perlman. And today we're going to talk about entrepreneurship. Uh, both Shannon and Adam are, are both entrepreneurs. Uh, both have their own startups um, that have gotten traction. And today what we're going to do is that um, we're going to have a conversation about this experience, and we're going to talk about um, things that come into entrepreneurs' minds, such as you know what? Remember we were just talking about why you stopped blogging when you first. Uh, Starting your business. Walk me through that.
1: Sure. So, um, one of the things I'm really passionate about is leadership and just the subject of leadership. And throughout all of my years of working and in business, I always love to mentor and to um, read, on, read up on lead- leadership. And this was something that was just of personal interest to me. So I was doing some blogging and once I started my business, which is not a, it's not a coaching business, it's not leadership, we do healthcare analytics, Um, I stopped doing that just because I didn't want to be known for that. I didn't want to create any type of brand confusion. Well, you know, Shannon's doing this company, but then she's also blogging about a completely different thing. And it's hard enough in my mind, you know, right or wrong, that decision, I don't know but it's hard enough to uh, deliver a very clear brand message mm-hmm. out there if you're just dealing with one thing, but to do two completely different brand messages, knowing that as a startup, um, you know, it was just me and two partners, and it's you're in this phase where you're wearing a million hats, and, um, you know, it simply ended up not being a priority to try to pursue both paths. So you know, maybe we'll, I'll pick it up later on down the road, but... Yeah. Taking a
0: hiatus. So do you think that if you kept it up, I mean, did you get any responses from potential clients that, um, oh, hey, I saw... That you blogged about this and I thought we were talking about this versus we're talking about healthcare analytics. Did any of that come up? No,
1: no one ever specifically said, oh, I didn't know that you had this company. I thought that you blogged on leadership topics. And I didn't do it forever. It was probably for, you know, a span of maybe a year that Mm -hmm. I was doing that. And I was truly just doing it on the side. It was something that was of interest to me. But um, no, no one ever specifically said, hey, I'm confused.
0: Got it. And Adam, you're sort of trying to do the other, sort of the opposite of that. Integrate it all. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I found that, um, well, I don't have the same type of issue that, that you have where you have an established business with a, with a certain brand that you're trying to build and have this kind of conflict. My, my issue's been a little bit different where when I was starting out, um, I think that I had tried to actually separate my work life and my, Personal life, and now I'm trying to put these things together because I realized that for for myself that wasn't the right direction to go. And so, on my journey, um, I I learned that the more I can connect what I'm passionate about personally with what I'm passionate with with the work that I do, that just that just starts to feel more and more natural. And if I feel natural about it, I can behave authentically. And if I can behave authentically, I feel comfortable, and then I, I feel good. And so for me, it has been sort of like the opposite sort of uh, direction, but um, so far that seems to be working out really well. And the more I understand what I'm trying to do and I can self-validate inside here that like actually it feels good, the more I can talk about it and work on it really hard. And I
0: like that part of it. Yeah, and Adam, Janet, I'd love to have you walk through um, you know, what your current business does and how did you get started and, and what was it like getting sure. traction? Um, so what the business does right now, uh, the nuts and bolts of the business is e-commerce.
2: We sell online on Amazon and a little bit on eBay. We source inventory through say, Jodlot, which is a company my, my family's involved in. And, uh, so we source inventory directly to them, put it online. We run tests to see what merchandise sticks and sells well. Then we try to double down, get more of the merchandise and try to, um, sell more of it. So it's a lot of testing of product and rebuying a product and hopefully, uh, putting up through things to the system that we get good data and can uh, scale it. So the business has been around for about 10 years now. And when it first started, I didn't really know what I was doing. And we all kind of hacked it a little bit here and there. And over the course of about six or so years, we gradually got a little bit better. But the really important breakthrough point for me was when I discovered that I actually wasn't good at my job and I had a lot of work to do to become better. And so once that happened, I started working on myself and that ended up helping me become more aware of where my strengths and weaknesses were. And I realized I had to rebuild my team and I had to basically identify something that mattered more than just having a business to make money and once i started putting those pieces together it started to really make progress the business itself made progress i started starting myself with the right group of people and uh, that was really important so um we now have some traction we're, we're, we're growing we're still figuring out the actual model like the work's not done but we're we're making a lot more progress, and I'm starting to get the right people on the bus in the right seats, and uh, that's been fantastic. And on a personal level, um, transitioning from the default mentality of, "Hey, let's just do this to make maximum amount of money," to the mentality of, "Hey, let's this is an opportunity. This is this this whole arrangement here is kind of a gift. It's not everyone has this particular opportunity. How do we leverage this to do something meaningful in the world?" That transition was like night and day in terms of its meaningfulness personally and I think that one of the most gratifying things is when I can find people who join the team that also believe in what we believe in so
0: do you want me to talk at all about that or? Absolutely, absolutely? yeah uh, so because yeah, Adam you I mean you're being modest here but essentially Adam you you've built a seven-figure business uh, revenue-wise yeah yeah so but, that's
2: that's significant I guess it well thank you i'll try I'll try to take the compliment i i um I always think of where we are relative to where I think we need to be to have any real impact and so in my mind, we're still very basic in that sense um like we'll need to be a lot larger to have the kind of impact that we'll need to have to be successful but uh but yeah, it feels great to have made progress at all I mean we have to be doing some things right to be growing and um so the idea that we're pursuing is, um, actually there's, there's, two, there's two ideas, I'll try to encapsulate it as, as succinctly as possible though. Um, we're trying to build a business that can build other businesses that will work together um, to solve important problems. And at the same time, we're trying to build an educational, um, a new educational modality inside of our business that we hope, if successful, can be an alternative to some of the educational options that people have today, especially for young adults, but possibly if we're successful for um, younger people as well. And the idea is centered around the notion that really life is more important than simply getting a degree and getting the getting that job, and getting the paycheck. Like, that's important, but so are other things in life, like how we Um, The type of relationships, the quality of the relationships we have with other people, how we use our minds to interpret experiences. Uh, Something can be a failure or it can be a lesson from which we can grow from. Um, How we manage our money, basic finances. Uh, There's just a range of things that are important in life. And we feel that uh, it's important to address all those things in education. If you're going to teach people things, teach them all the things or at least the most meaningful things that they'll be dealing with in their life. So rather than try to focus specifically on a a degree, um, we're saying, hey, let's try to help people self-actualize. Let's actually see if we can help them find this trajectory of growth and become the best possible version of themselves. And maybe if they can do that, then maybe they can help other people do the same. And we have this idea that maybe we can do this inside of a company, which is like this, wait, what kind of idea, except that I think it is possible for it to work because... Um, a company can be reimagined as a sustainability mechanism for a group of people who are in a quest to make a positive impact in the world. Like, there's no reason, I think, at least in my mind, why that can't happen. Um, we still have to engage in the marketplace, we still have to create value for people and capture some of that value so we can sustain ourselves along the way. But really, why can't a company be completely mission driven and utilizing all its assets to accomplish a thing that it really cares about? Um, look, these are all just ideas, but we're going to try and, and see if they work. And so I feel like it's great when we can bring people on who, who believe in these things, and then the idea would be to um, for the students to become the teachers so that as people learn, as people grow in this environment where we're teaching and they're learning, that they can then work with the next generation of people and help them learn and so forth and so on. So that's those are just some aspects of the idea. Essentially, you're trying to build a
0: culture, and once you have that culture, then the astronomical growth comes naturally.
2: (laughs) Um, That's what I'm hearing. I don't know if the growth will come naturally only because you still have to have the good business ideas, right? You have to still, the nuts and bolts still matter. But I think what you have when you have the culture is two things. First, if you have people who want to create value in the world for other people and they're mission-driven, if you can teach them to start companies and if they can be successful in doing that, they pass the deal, the DNA follows them okay. and when they build their teams and their cultures that follows. I had um, one of the young women on my staff today ask me a question uh, about this, she's like how do you work with other companies where maybe they're coming from like a different place like it's a dog eat dog world or um, you know philosophically they're just not in line and you know my answer was that um, first of all there are good people out there and if you could find them then this can be compatible. But maybe maybe you don't try to change their minds. Maybe you try to do something from within. You, you teach the people who are part of your group how to be successful. And if they've got the right heart and you, they can learn the skills, then maybe you don't have to go and change people's minds. If you can become an example of how you think people should behave, then you are, you are an example. You can inspire people.
0: Starting with you first, right? Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's hard work. You had a very successful career in corporate America and then you decided that you wanted to be an entrepreneur um, and start your own company. What was that transition like for you?
1: Uh, it was a little scary obviously it is uh, it takes a little bit of craziness to to give up this established thing that you've spent so much of your time and energy building for something that has zero security, and you know it may or may not end up working and we know that the statistics of startups that end up succeeding is it 's very very small mm-hmm. um, and it takes some some very special things to make that happen, so yeah, a little scary, but there were a whole bunch of um, little motivations at the beginning that I used to kind of um, make that decision and I remember one of the it was, you know, these internet memes. One of the the things that I was looking at was, you know, one picture of other people's dreams. And, you know, it's this, like, perfectly built house. And then your dreams. And it's just, like, you know, a pile of sticks on the ground. And basically to say, like, you're spending all of your time building other people's dreams. And why don't you put all of that time and energy into doing something that's actually your dream? Mm-hmm. And so... Around the time that I started my company with my partners, we knew, uh, having worked together in the past, that there was a real uh, chronic issue with um, health data and effectively managing it and using health data to help um, health plans, to help providers, to help employers make decisions on health care, and also to help them to save money. But health data is very messy. Uh, you really have to have a good amount of expertise to work with it. And so we saw this issue and started this company based on the premise of the fact that we wanted to use the power of data for good to improve the cost and quality of healthcare. If you actually leverage the data that you have and you use it well, you can, uh, push costs down because you can find inefficiencies and you can address those. Uh, so so anyway, we definitely knew that the opportunity was there. We had the expertise to do it. Like I said, it took a, a bit of crazy to mm-hmm. end up jumping on that, but it's something that we all really believed in and still believe in.
0: So is that that mission-driven nature that pushed you to
1: take yes. that first
0: leap?
1: Absolutely. Because I know for
0: a lot of people out there, um, are watching they're either they're coming out of school or they're working an entry-level job or maybe they've gone a couple promotions into their career and they've got student debt they've got you know bills to pay and some of them may have kids to make that leap because you had uh i mean when you started the company you had a family and you had young kids yeah and still do you still do (laughs) (laughs) and you're you're juggling all of that so what tools you know either techniques that you've learned throughout the years to help you really manage balancing both effectively because you're i mean your kids have a really strong relationship with you know both you and your husband and you've been able to maintain that part of your life as well as building this yeah so like tips to and i know that's like a lot based on what we hear a lot of people coming in you know they're just graduating school and you're thinking oh i don't have friends i don't have time to go out with my friends and that's what they're really trying to balance mm-hmm. versus you know. entrepreneurs like you where you're balancing a whole other family your whole family as well as this new startup which is like a new baby
1: yes 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 how do you do what's the secret it's a very colicky baby (laughs) but um yeah it's it's tough and personally i i am all ears whenever people are giving secrets to work-life balance i don't really know that it exists and particularly if family's involved, it's, I just see it as a series of trade-offs. Okay, well, you know, I will travel on this day to visit this client, but that means that I'm not going to see my kids at all that day. Mm -hmm. And it's just this series of decisions that you make. And it, you know, you have to figure out in the moment, which, which is most important. And you have to make sacrifices. You know, I, I sometimes look at my business and I think we would be wildly more successful if I never ever saw my kids. But I refuse to do that. So, you know, there are compromises every single day. So, um, it's, it's a challenge for sure, but I have a couple of things that I know are important that I will not compromise. I used to travel multiple times every single week. I will not do that anymore. Um, I, I really try to tailor my schedule so that's not something that I need to do. And I had a hard time um, in the past saying no to things as soon as something comes up or okay, now you need to hop on a plane and go to Houston, Texas. I used to say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll figure out a way to make it work and now i I say no. And are there trade-offs? Absolutely, but um, it's it's simply a, a choice for quality of life.
0: And then also you know having that balance or really integration in the beginning as well as getting you know your first couple clients right what was that like because your clients are essentially they're whales I mean these are big corporations and the sales cycles are long and it's a very sophisticated service and product that you're offering and you've got how long is your sales cycle and and how do you really keep things going while you're waiting for your next deal to, to come in do you Try to really build a wide pipeline or do you try to really focus on a few key clients to go after?
1: That's a good uh, question. So this kind of takes me back to my, my days of managing sales operations and the takeaway that I bring with me to what I do today is the fact that you have to have as many irons in the fire as you possibly can. Sure, you know, it would be great if I would just have my three big fish that I was working on getting, but the sales cycle can sometimes be up to 18 months long, mm. so that's uh, that's not really going to help anyone. And you need to make sure that you constantly keep the pipeline full. So um, you know, my goal is to try to make contact with as many people as possible, uh, get my feelers out with as many companies as possible, and constantly just keep all doors open and all options open because you never know what is going to hit, as they say, and when it's going to happen.
0: And then in terms of managing your day-to-day, because I I hear a lot of people they ask us questions on, you know, what do you do every single day? Because there's a big, you know, goal and and vision that you're going after, but in terms of since you're managing operations, you're managing sales, I mean you've got two partners that are phenomenal technologists, but you have to run both the front of the house and the back of the house, like how do you split that up every single day? Or is it a weekly plan, is it a monthly plan?
1: I usually plan things out on a weekly basis um, just to keep myself honest and to keep myself on target. So I'll take a look at my entire week and I'll, I'll assess, okay, what are the biggest priorities that we need to be focusing on? and um make sure that my time is allocated accordingly mm-hmm. because if i don't do that it's so easy to let some other distraction like an come up. <laughs> yeah like this for example <laughs> no um or you know even uh, an event that's going on at my my child's school you know it's it's very easy to become consumed with things that are not always your your most important and i think that's the tendency both in the startup world but then also in the regular business world that people let the urgent dictate what they're doing every single day Mm -hmm. but you have to understand like what's your most important thing that you need to do and maybe it's not urgent but you need to be slowly building those things and build that into what you do on a weekly basis
0: that just reminds me of the four quadrant system that it's taught a lot, I don't know. remember if it was Stephen Covey Stephen. or it mm-hmm. was, yeah, where you have like the, you have the, the important and urgent that you have to address today, and then the, uh, the not important and urgent, which you, could, uh, you, you try to get rid of as many of those as possible, and then the unimportant and unurgent, which you don't touch at all, and then the, um, the important but unurgent, which you have to really focus category. on, yeah. because otherwise, if you let the other three dictate your time, then you're never gonna get to long-term mm-hmm. growth. Now, your business has a very different way of selling, And I I always, I'm really interested in selling because I truly believe that in any company, you're going to, in the beginning, it's all about sales. It's about how fast can you either sell an investor, you can sell, you know, you you sell your customers to bring in revenue or, or whatnot. So yours is really primarily B2C. Yeah. Well, so far, that's what
2: we've had the most traction with. We've done a little bit of work on eBay with B2B, but yeah, we sell on ebay and, and, and on amazon where and, and, and oftentimes in these marketplaces the thing that they do for you is they bring the eyeballs they bring the traffic so the one thing we don't have to really do is figure out how to get people to see this stuff but <laughs> <We can't. laughs> um the uh so, so on one hand, you have Amazon eBay bringing large amounts of people into their marketplaces to look for products. The, the area that we have to do really well in is um, get our products to the top of the search results. That's the challenge. And then when they land on the page, they want to convert and buy the item. Mm-hmm. But um, to your greater point of sales, absolutely, if, if you don't have um, sales happening, it's very hard to have momentum and that momentum, It's very hard to be excited about what you're doing and things start to get very challenging. Uh, So in in our business we try to, and it's just the nature of our business because we have this giant pipeline of goods that is coming through the job lot system that we're tapping into. But our goal is to tap into that as best we can, identify the items that um, are relevant to online retail, put them online to sell as rapidly as possible and draw the most appropriate conclusions as rapidly as possible. And then in our case, double down and try to get more of it. Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, you need the sales. And actually, to understand really how your system works, um, can you go over JobLot, just give a quick background on sure. what it is? I mean, it's, if lot, you're in the Northeast, yes. Then yes, you should know what it is. But for yeah. folks in, let's say, you know, West Texas or something. So JobLot is a brick-and-mortar company
2: that sells a combination of import merchandise and closeouts. Um, and import merchandise, most of us are familiar with... Um, it could be, and it's, it's all, all across different categories, everything from food to outdoor lawn and patio to hardware to clothing. I mean, it's the whole gamut. It's a little bit like a Walmart in the sense of the variety. Um, but the, uh, the closeout side is something that um, probably fewer people are familiar with. And so what a closeout is, is maybe just in its most concise definition, is an opportunity buy, um, where something is on the market for some unusual reason and it's at a distressed price and a lot of companies don't really want to touch this kind of stuff because it's challenging to deal with it a lot of companies they're dealing with a like a product or a category or different categories and it's uh you know this is outside of your realm of what you're good at it's challenging to do with closeouts but um so this company, Job Lot, which was founded by my father and his brother and, and a close friend, uh, started literally in a flea market selling closeouts. Um So they were open to whatever they could get their hands on and grew into some small stores and then grew into a larger, I think there's about 125 or so job lots in the Northeast United States right now. and um, so. If you were to walk into one of these stores, the back two thirds, you'd see your, your normal categories of stuff and you'd be able to say, okay, this is a department. I can walk in here and find something that I'm looking for. But the front third is sort of like managed chaos. And this is where the closeouts come in. Um, so Job Lot sacrifices continuity for opportunity. So they're saying to their customer, come in, you don't really know what you're going to find, but if you find it here, you're going to get a good value and um, the stuff is first quality so it's sometimes people hear closeouts and they're thinking oh it's like there's a problem and sometimes closeouts can be seconds or irregulars and sometimes lot has or will buy all those types of things but a, the majority of it's all first quality and so you can walk in and buy something that like is just a ridiculous price and people love that so they walk in and they, it's like adventure shopping or just let's see what's here today um, one of the things that we would like to say is like, or like to, one of the, the, the things that we've observed is that very rarely can people walk in, buy one thing, and walk out. And that, that includes me, and like it's like a family company, so it's kind of silly, but yeah, it's the truth. Um, Do you have like a gold card that just... <laughs> no, 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 no. I try to just, uh, just try and pay them. I get an
0: employee though, which is nice. Got it. Yeah. Um, so you're yeah, trying to so... leverage that infrastructure and really bring things online figuring out what items are going to sell and then figuring out what the demand is in the marketplace and putting it online so that people have a greater access to the inventory.
2: Yeah, so we're trying to to do that and um, one of the real challenges is because you've got closeouts and because you've got um, imports, they're very different animals in terms of the types of opportunities and because our company is currently um, within, it's a, we're a third-party seller on Amazon and on eBay, their ecosystem, it's, it's like, there's certain challenges that ecosystem presents at the same time it creates these opportunities for us. So like I said earlier, they bring in all the people so you have all this activity. But on the other hand, search results, which have a very high impact on sales, are often largely a function of sales velocity. So what happens, you're always bringing in new things, mm. is that you start off in kind of a really low search position. So it can be very challenging to sometimes leverage the closeout side of the business because tr- closeouts are transitory. So you have it, it starts to do well, you we sell out of it, and you have to start over for, with the next thing. And yet at the same time, the greatest opportunity to create value for consumers and value for us on the margins is in the closeouts. So it's, an interesting, it's interesting to see to what extent we can leverage closeouts because we think there's a really great opportunity there. And uh, we had a conversation in the past, Johnny, where you mentioned, what about, you know, selling a deal a day or something of that nature, because now you're outside of that Amazon, eBay ecosystem, and maybe you can speak directly to your customers and you can really showcase these like, these ideas. And I'd like to get to the point where we can try ideas like that. We're just trying to start where we started, <clears throat> where we think it's the lowest hanging fruit, try to make progress
0: there. And, then- and I think yeah. data is tremendously important. And nowadays, everything's about data, but I think yeah. data is... Also, a catchphrase that not a lot of people understand. They just think that if I add data to something, it'll make it sexier, maybe I'll have a higher valuation. But mm-hmm. you really understand data because your company is founded on healthcare data. And although Adam's company is not quite exactly healthcare, um, although, you know, you, I guess you need patio furniture sometimes. Yeah. And uh, so, how do you advise a startup? Because I see so many startups that need the help, they could really leverage data to understand what their customers want, understand demand, understand supply, understand all of this, but they just don't have the expertise to make it happen that they probably can't afford to hire a firm like yours, which is more high-end big corporate. And also it takes a lot of effort, customization, um, for each company. How would you advise that, how do you advise somebody like that to get started? What should they be looking at? What are the key factors? And how do they do it for cheap so that they can grow to a point where they can't afford a company like yours?
1: Yes. so. Uh, there are a couple of things that everyday people can, can take away and use to help them to use data to grow their company. So, um, first of all, you have to have a method of capturing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of companies that are largely offline, they don't really use much with computers. This is very difficult to do. So to have some automated systems in place is very important so you can capture data. And the more you can capture, the better it is. So that's really phase number one. What type of systems one.
0: do you see used a lot? I mean, is it just a simple Excel Excel, file or... I mean,
1: that's probably the most commonly used one. Uh, that's one that, you know, we can't use because they tap out it. I think it's like two million records. Got it. So Excel definitely has its limitations. However, it's impressive to me how many companies make use of some pretty advanced functions within Excel. I mean, you don't have to be buying these crazy systems. Excel really will do it. So um, using something like that just to make sure that you're capturing information. Uh, The next thing is making sure that it's clean. A lot of businesses don't know that they're capturing the same amount of information in two or three or four different places. Mm -hmm. And this actually is a real problem for many businesses. Many of them don't even know that it's a problem. But it's this, you know, it turns into this, the old uh, IT term, garbage in, garbage out. You know, when you have bad data that you're using, you're really not going to be finding great things Mm -hmm. out from it. It's going to be pointing you in the wrong direction. So making sure that you kind of understand what's behind that data, you understand what's behind the numbers is very important. And also just understanding the business and applying your understanding to what you're looking at. And... I liken this to when you do a job interview. So no one takes a resume and sees all the data on a resume past jobs and, you know, someone's GPA and just says, okay, this person is hired. You have to use your own judgment. You want to meet the person. You want them to meet other people. You want to talk it over with other people, too. And this is the whole practice of just using your own knowledge and and combining that with data to make a decision. Mm -hmm. I think one of the scariest things I see happening in different companies is just basing decisions off of data because what we know is that data is limited in its abilities. Um, You're never capturing everything where data is concerned, and you can't take the human part out of that equation. You need to have someone who is knowledgeable about the subject matter helping to make the assessment. For us in healthcare, what we say is you, you need a data scientist who is, um, specializes in clinical and pharmacy information, mm-hmm. who knows that, that data. But in another type of business, if you're dealing with retail data, you want someone who, who knows that and understands the limitations of how that data is captured.
0: So, like, in terms of, let's say, Adam's company, how would you start to even advise him in terms of what he what should he be tracking? Um, because, you know, his business is very supply side oriented as well. How do you how do you marry the um, how do you marry the demand chain? All um, right. That's a real word. Uh, merge those two together. And also, how do you then empower, let's say, an analyst, right, that's possibly entry-level person at a startup to learn the necessary techniques to be able to manage that project. Tough. You, you
1: really, if you're having someone who's an entry-level person who doesn't know retail and the nuances of what you need to be looking at, that is, it makes it a bit more challenging. I think that it, it means that you would need to be investing more of yourself into helping to point that person in the right direction. Or, uh, you know, if it's a super self-starter and someone who is willing to research these things, there is virtually nothing that you can't find out there if you're trying to to research this stuff. So, I mean, in in terms of the, the data that he should be capturing, he, obviously it's going to have to be um, buying information on whatever platforms. And, you know, there's so many things that you could potentially be capturing. For instance, you know, did the person was the person about to buy your product, but then they bought something something else instead? And you know, those lost opportunities is their way to capture that, and can you learn things from it? So it really can become so big, but I think that it's it's helpful to just start at a starting point, and you take a look at the data that you have, and that will start to open up doors. Okay, well, this is bringing up this question. If I had this data, then I could answer that question. Mm-hmm. That will help you to build and point you in the right direction.
0: And in the beginning, you think that's possibly a CEO's role to take a look at that, see how it aligns with the vision and the mission and and, and really tell that story.
1: Uh, if, if we're talking in the beginning that you know it's a very small startup and it's absent other uh, people, It's the CEO's responsibility to make sure that happens, but how it happens um, Mm -hmm. is up to interpretation. So be that someone like Adam who is helping to do that or him hiring a consultant who has experience in retail, it's, there are many different ways that you can end up in the same place. what would
0: you absolutely delegate if you had the resources? Personally? Yeah.
1: Oh boy. I think uh, cold calling. That some of those um, very high volume types of repeat sales things that um, you know if because my attention is split between so many other types of activities it's very difficult for me to get into a rhythm of some of those lead uh, generating activities
0: and then in terms of data wise too in terms of data mining or is it the collection process is what What parts can be automated pretty easily, and which parts absolutely need um, a higher level person to take a look at and interpret
1: the actual analysis part in its simplest form can be automated, but the thing that takes the most work is aggregating all of the data and cleaning it mm. and this is something that again you know it, it's scary many companies don't even invest resources into doing this so sure they're getting some information but what is that information saying because they're not cleaning the data it's very work intensive if you're doing it right.
0: And for BetaX Analytics that's what you're doing you're really taking the data you're cleaning it and then you're able to tell a story from it so that it becomes a lot easier for somebody without that background to understand it. Yep. Exactly. Got it. And uh, actually any last thoughts? We're going to have you guys back definitely either individually or all together and share more tips and tricks. Because I think this gave a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of material to get started, especially in terms of data, in terms of getting traction from both B2B and B2C businesses, which are you know, two very different things. But any other thoughts, how, what advice would you give to somebody that's maybe thinking about starting out, thinking about um, grass screener on the other side? Should I get started with something and how should I approach it and how should I balance everything? You want to go on this one? Sure, sure. I'll start out.
1: So um, this is easy for me because someone just asked me this question and I have a ready response. My advice for someone wanting to start out is start as a side hustle and test out your assumptions. You think you have a great business idea. You think you know how you want to execute it. If you start out doing it on the side, you still have the security Mm -hmm. of what you are doing in your day job, what you're doing on a daily basis, but you can see, you know, were your assumptions correct, or do you actually need to go in a different direction? Um, and also, you have the opportunity to start to build some business. So when you do get to the point where you're able to um, make it your full-time thing, you have some some
0: momentum under you. Makes sense. That way, you always have something to fall back on if it doesn't work out. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I'd like to just echo what you said on the assumptions. Try, try to figure out what your, your core assumptions are as early as possible and test them. Because if you don't, you're going to eventually, reality will teach you what your assumptions are and whether they're right or wrong at some point. So the sooner that can be tested, and often they can be tested as in a side hustle where you still have your full time, but you're trying things on the side. Um, so I think that to the extent that you can do that, that's a great idea. And then one of the other thoughts I would just add is that um, if it does catch on, you get traction, decide to make that that move, that that shift to full time working on this idea, it's going to be a long process. It's going to take a long time, and I think it's important to really look deep down inside yourself and see where you're coming from and if this is really what you want
0: because it's a it's a long journey. Um, Advice wise, because I've been struggling with like the whole identity thing, which is like who who are you as a company? Um, what do you want to accomplish and whether, are they going to confuse you as, oh, you're this development person, like coaching, development person, or are you building a company? And I think that there is a way to integrate both. Like just like how you're talking about, if you're passionate about leadership, um, I know that like in, for example, in Leah's case, she's very, um, she's very passionate about now empowering women to, in the workplace to go out there and, and, and be able to, uh, embrace femininity as a strength. Um, leadership skill versus like everybody trying to be a man kind of thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and 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 not working as well and i think that there's a way to it's almost like there's a it's a there's a tool and a skill where the uh the skill in this case is um can be equated to whatever you're you're trying to build right You're, you're this is your skill. This is what you work on every single day. Like if you're a doctor or if you're a carpenter or if you're just like your business is your skill or skill equivalent. And then the tool is the leadership. And and you can still, and sometimes like the master, you know, mechanics or the master uh, physicians will create a tool and they'll say, look, this is going to make your job much better. And the byproduct that is, you know, the leadership training. I think those are the tools of This society and you can certainly have your skill that you're honing and the business that you're building and creating tools for others. And it can be synonymous with your identity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then versus seeing both things as skills, uh, as in both both things as careers versus here's a tool that you can spin off Mm -hmm. and help many more people that way. Hmm. And then, you know, you can have like the Shannon Shellcross method of doing this, which then built <laughs> Beta X analytics into a billion dollar company and, mm-hmm. and just like how uh you know you have the you know the Zappo's way, mm-hmm. right? Where he's going out Tony Chase going out there and teaching people about happiness and yeah. customer service and that can be applied to any place. Mm-hmm. Um, not just shoe companies. Yeah. Yeah. And so I sort of see that as, as being synonymous and also if you do sort of show people the tools that you use then it's less of a like a Wizard of Oz kind of moment where there's you no know, there's no wizard behind the curtain it's this is what we use and people who are attracted to it like I don't know what you were saying about building that culture is that I think here I mean Ben you can tell me you've been here for just a uh, less than two weeks now and uh, just in terms of you know we, we live by this and we're inspiring every single one of you to have your own side hustle right does that build a culture and it's sort of a leaded like it's a it's a loaded question. Um but just uh, how did you feel um in terms of whether this place was empowering you versus let's say your your last position who was which was more of this is what you do every day. You show up 9 to 5.
2: Well, I think it was just the interest in the, my personal life in general is just like in my past job, it wasn't like, uh, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Like, we want you to, you know, have a life and be pursuing other things and be interested in things. I think that's, like, important and not something you see every day at a lot of companies. So, like, yeah, it's totally a lot different. And um, I think it's, like, kind of uh, keeps you motivated, sort of. So you don't just go home and sit on the couch and watch TV. You kind of want to come to work motivated and then go home and keep doing your thing and kind of keep pursuing your dreams.
0: So, yeah, definitely. a uh, Stuff. that was unscripted, that was unscripted, unscripted. so <laughs> um yes yeah, so i think that also builds a culture in the company too where it's like you truly care about people that work with you and it's not like they work for you anymore because i think that's that equation is gone for the most part it's mm-hmm. i always see people as working with us and and because of all of this uh and you showing them the tools that they can take and bring it i know that most people that work for doctor's choice, they're not going to live and breathe Medicare for the rest of their life. I mean, that's just, I, I think that's, that's silly to think about. Um, although we have one person that's like, just, he, <laughs> um, no, 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 not uh, aside from me, um, that, you know, he, <laughs> I'll give him a shout out. It's Max, um, who like emails me like articles about, um, medicare at 11 p.m when he's not working when he's like at a party he's like this is party's lame like i'm gonna i like want cnn reading about medicare and he's 19 right so he's 19 isn't like in a frat and so uh but it keeps you motivated and i think it builds that culture so that people um will, will really feel like it's a family and it'll get to where you want to go faster
1: oh yeah i've heard it uh compared to creating a a greenhouse in the workplace. So if you truly create that environment where people can be genuine and authentic and you're supporting them in that way, none of it is contrived. They're truly encouraged to pursue their passions. Of course, people are going to perform at their best because they're feeling like they're fulfilled in all of these other areas that are so important in their life. And how often do we get to live a life like that? Yeah. So it's like you're cultivating a, a greenhouse in a good way.
0: And I think that, I mean, it's, it's very true that when you say, where can people live like that? <clears throat> but it's also sad because I have this belief that we should all be living like that. And I think sometimes having that side hustle, and if you're, especially if you're generating income with your side hustle that can, that can really you know, pay for your basic expenses, then you showing up to a job is because you want to. Not because you have to. And because inevitably, in a lot of companies, what ends up happening with especially big corporations is that they're like, like once you hit 50, it's like layoff central, right? There's, um, they say it's not because of your age or, but you make a lot of money and they think that sometimes you look at data and they think that they can replace you with two other people. And then you're sort of out and you're a, a consultant for the next 15 years of your life. Mm-hmm but not by your choice and that's really really painful yeah in this society and i feel like if you can get away from that as soon as possible and if people can see that that's no longer like the steady career with the gold watch i think people know that's not the that's not the end all be all anymore like i had an an old next door neighbor who was uh when he passed away i think was like 90 years old he worked for uh for bell Atlantic, which was then became verizon and and all of that and he bought a new car every single year, literally a new Cadillac every single year. He just went in and just like, took the depreciation. i was like, why do not you lease? And goes, no, I don't believe in leasing. All right. Um, and he went out to lunch every single day with a friend. And he went out to a restaurant every single day. And it wasn't that he grew up rich. He, didn't, he just literally had a phenomenal pension. That was like 90% of what he made when he was working. And that was it. He was happy. He was set for life. But I think nowadays people know that's not the case but they don't know any other way because the schools are still teaching the same old like, okay, you do this. It's still trained. We're still trained on a factory system where there are periods and bells and like the Pavlov dog of like the bell rings, you get your ass up and you go to the next room. Mm -hmm. And I, I just don't think that's right anymore. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that the, if you look at the schools that are the most flexible where, um, I mean, like I know I didn't show up to most classes in college and, and, but yeah, you know, You know, Brown is like the most venture capital friendly, like most kids go out there, do something, start a company or whatever. Um, So I think that there's spreading that knowledge of, okay, there is another way and this is what it is. Mm -hmm. is tremendously important, especially with this next generation that cares about that integration, the happiness, also the mission of their lives and what they're contributing.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For the most part, we can eat.
0: Um, And... Yeah. The next step is okay. What can we do? Yeah. 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 I'm I'm
2: optimistic that things can get better, and we just need to figure out how to do it.
0: Yeah.
2: Keep trying things. But uh, as far as it relates to what you're saying about you know it used to be this way that you can get the the gold watch and the pension and no longer, you know I think some of the things that we can do better and uh, is to be more compassionate and more innovative. I think when you combine um, compassion with with innovation, innovation, if successful, you tend to have higher margins. Higher margins, you have more options. You can be more generous if you want to be. If you're in the restaurant business where there's very low margins, you could be the most compassionate person in the world. It doesn't really matter because you can't do the things for your staff that you might desire to do. Mm -hmm. But if you can combine the best of what's in your heart with the best of what's in your mind then I think there's real opportunity there to create new systems of doing work and culture that you can get the best of what you want to provide to people.
0: And I think along the lines of that with companies, right, it's like almost we're like doing another interview here. Uh, I I remember the the moment I realized that margin was... I know this sounds really dumb, but the moment I I, I figured out that margin was so important, like in terms of the margins in your business, because you can invest in the people that are the closest to you it's not that you got to give away all your margin to be competitive or if you're making some money then you're then you're a bad person you're doing the wrong Because i think we, we get to, at least the way that I, I was taught a lot of times that was the case right if you're not a non-profit and if you're making significant margin on something then you're ripping you're, somebody you're greedy off. Or something. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. versus like if you look at google their margins are insane yeah. and that's why they're able to implement um, all these creative programs, they can spend a couple billion dollars even on a project that may fail, but yet if it succeeds, it's going to be so much greater than what they had before. Mm-hmm. But if, without the margin, I mean, that's why if you look at the, I mean, the grocery store business where the margins are so thin, that's innovation. There's no innovation. Unless you get a grocery store like what Whole Foods was before. Whole Foods margins was like somewhere like 30% versus like the traditional... Um, like 2 to 3% for regular grocery stores. and So they're able to innovate, but you know they didn't catch on with technology. But now Amazon can come in and take that margin and, and do great things with it, either just becoming much more competitive, putting in, they can ship things to anywhere. So I'm really excited about that. And also if you look at where are other places where margin is a lot of cost, but a lot, uh, very little margin, healthcare. I mean, if you look at the hospital, especially... Not every, not every sector of healthcare. I mean, if you look at companies like Optum, like the space that you're in, I think that's really smart because that's where the margins are huge. But the ACA's made the insurance carriers' margins small because you can only make, you know, ten fifteen percent margin, and that means that only the big players can survive, and the little players can't because the little players can't make enough margin to to even reach economies of scale. Mm-hmm. And then with hospitals, right? Hospitals. They're consolidating left and right because their margins are like grocery stores and they're supposed to be a place of innovation but they can't because they have no margin they just yeah. invested in buildings and infrastructure and, and and that's why I think we have the mess that we have here today which is there's not enough margin in health care in, in some areas where it's really important like physician mm-hmm. like pro- national providers mm-hmm. like try asking providers for a thousand dollar donation they're like we don't have the budget but but you got a billion dollar budget. It, it just yeah. To me, it just baffles me.
1: So something that we talk about all the time in my company is the fact that you know this this margin issue in healthcare. Um, you know, you, you can actually increase margins without making many changes at all if you just get more smart and more efficient about what you're doing and how you're doing it. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, for any um, healthcare provider system. Lots of them will employ whole teams of people to go through their data, to audit, to find ways where they need to make changes on how they're coding certain things and entering information, which is all well and good, but it's very costly to employ people to be doing that and how efficient can you really be when you're just staring at this data all day every day, whereas you can use technology to go through there and shortcut that process. So you need less people to do something and you become more efficient at how you're doing it. And when you do something like that, you can increase your margins by making virtually no change at all. So that's something that uh, we, again, it comes back to the fact that we are passionate about like data having the power to improve healthcare because if you use it in a smart way, it can actually over time, lower the cost. It's, it's like Tetris just got to
0: move a couple of pieces around the same pieces. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, it's a huge problem we got to solve because otherwise it, it ends up being, uh, you have a system that nobody wants to be a participant in, but they feel like they have to because Which you need sense. healthcare. Yeah. I think that's also the reason why like cash businesses in healthcare, all time high in terms of growth. I mean, you've got like the things like MDVIP, you've got concierge medicine, which is MDVIP and the whole direct primary care movement. And I'm curious to see what you think um, that movement, how does it tie into the bigger realm of things when it comes to data? I mean, are people that are solo practitioners, cash-only folks, are they more willing to adopt data um, as a way to grow their business? Because now they're now they're not only financially, not not only are they... You know, career-wise invested in it but they're also financially invested in in this just like if you if somebody were to say to me I've got a small advertising agency I need to get started and I've got this really unique way of um, you know applying data and and, and building websites and marketing and whatnot. I would tell them to hit up every single small business they can because now it's a lot easier to get the sales cycle becomes one month couple of weeks or even a day versus like. 15, 16 months and you can get sort of people on the ground floor to buy into a new concept versus trying to get a whole like hospital system or a a large employer or or a company. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of, do you see uh, see folks who are sort of off the grid in terms of um, medical practitioners more willing to adopt a data perspective or does that require more research?
1: Uh, some are. What I see happening right now is that there are all sorts of different types of groups that are popping up and doing different things just to manage our current environment. So some people have the resources to be able to collect all of this data and operate in a certain way and to figure out how to do it very um, intelligently. And then you have other groups that they're, you know, they're a cash operation and they, they specifically limit the scope of what they do and how they do it. And because they limit that, they actually end up doing quite well in terms of the prices that they're able to charge and what their margins are. But I think all of these are just a temporary transition. People are trying to figure out how to make the best of where we are right now in healthcare, but we're going to, this will continue to evolve. So these things will not continue, and I think that um, the pressure in the next five, 10 years is going to be much greater for some of the the smaller providers or providers that really aren't using much with data that they're, they're going to have to mm-hmm. uh, for a number of different reasons because of the uh, capabilities with predictive analytics and the amount of data that will be collected and I think that lawsuits and you know, medical malpractice in the future is also going to give way to legislation and you know, these things are going to help to shape the, the occasion that providers need to rise to and what will be necessary for them to be doing business in the future
0: yeah no that makes a lot of sense and also from like a consumer perspective um i would love to see if there's a correlation between once things become more cash based because nowadays i mean even as you see in the company where deductibles are getting higher people are starting to pay for healthcare more up front like we just put in a company plan here you know it's and it's a um, it's like a $3,000, it's an HSA, $3,000, sorry, man. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's good when you're young. Uh, you get to put money away pre-tax. That's why we made the decision. And it's still like for a family, like we're, we're young family, healthy, not on wood, um, aside from the juicing incident. Um, you know, three, three people on a family plan. It's like a grand a month. It's like 12 grand a year. Plus, we got to pay the family deductible, I guess, six. Like, we've six grand before we even get any care. So, really, it's 18 grand for an average family, young family. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if that's affordable. And, and I think that, um, you know, for that six grand that we have to pay out of pocket, cash, pretty much, I'm going to start shopping around. I mean, the behavior is going to change. It's going to be more like retail. And I got to find a better way of doing that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's when if you tell the providers because now we've already talked the providers so maybe something that we can work on is like if I can give you the data to show like this is how you should price yourself and how you should like how you should attract clients then um then they'll listen mm-hmm. because they know that if I do x y, and z then my revenues will increase by this much and you, you can i mean I, I've seen and this is we'll, we'll put this in but <laughs> I don't know if we should, but we'll do it anyways where it's like I'll, I'll be at a, a get-together with a whole bunch of people that I went to medical school with, and they're now physicians they're practicing physicians. And then, and then, you know, they talk about they want to help people, and I, I do feel like they that it's genuine. But at the end of the day, I'm like, are you going to do it in Rhode Island? And they're like, eh, I don't know. And I'm like, is it because of the reimbursement? They were like, I really love helping people. And I was like, here's the but, here's the but, here's the but. Um, but, you know, I got to look out for, you know, my financial interest as well and if south carolina is paying me a hundred percent more to be down there and i know that i can live i can live in a five thousand square foot house for the price of a two thousand square foot house here Mm -hmm. why wouldn't i yeah aside from if your family's here but that's what we see as well is that the financial component compensation is tremendously important for for even physicians and i think that's going back to the margin conversation of like the, the great lie of in order to do good, you can't do well. No, I don't, I don't see the connection there. I think uh, you can do both. Exactly. Yeah. Sound advice. All right. So we'll catch you guys next time. Well, thanks for joining us. Right. And uh, follow these guys. We'll put their handles um, below them. And we'll catch you next time with some great advice. And hopefully you'll get started.